Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's Euroactive debate: How to mitigate e instability in the EU ETS. My name is Dave Keating. I'm a journalist based in Brussels, and I'm coming at you live from the Euroactive studios in the heart of Brussels' EU quarter. So today we're going to be talking about the EU Emissions Trading Scheme, the ETS, which right now is experiencing an all-time high this winter in prices. There's a record high right now, close to 100 euros a ton of CO2, which was reached in February. Now, this surge in the price of CO2 in the EU's emissions trading scheme has come at the same time that energy and commodity prices are skyrocketing in Europe as a result of the pandemic recovery and the Ukraine war. Last July, the Commission presented a legislative proposal which aims for emissions from the current EU, EU ETS sectors to be reduced by 61% by 2030 compared to 2005 levels. To reach this target, the Commission has proposed a steeper annual emissions reduction of 4.2% following a one-off reduction of the overall emissions cap by 117 million allowances. Under the EU ETS, Companies in regulated sectors buy or receive emissions allowances, which they can trade with one another as needed. At the end of each year, regulated entities must surrender enough allowances to cover all of their emissions. If a regulated entity reduces its emissions below the allowances it has, it can keep those saved allowances to cover its future needs, or it can sell them to another installation that's short of allowances. A market stability reserve, in place since 2019, stabilizes the market by removing surplus allowances from it. That's how the EU ETS is working right now. But recent market developments have raised questions regarding speculative trading, whether and to what extent the participation of financial players should be constrained. And if it should, what would be the best mechanism to do so? Is the role of financial players in the EU ETS appropriate? Is it helpful? Is it causing problems? More generally, this whole discussion has revived the debate on the potential measures to stabilize the price of allowances in the EU ETS. Now, according to some industry stakeholders, allowance price instability and a general lack of predictability could have significant short- and long-term consequences, which could include higher compliance costs for obligated entities and higher decarbonization costs, which make it harder to meet the EU's climate goals. So today we're going to be talking about whether a review of the current ETS rules is in order, whether financial trading in the EU ETS market should be the subject of new regulation, and how some of the structural issues that induce price instability can be tackled if price instability is a significant problem at all. Let me now turn the floor over to a presentation of a study that we're going to kick off today's event with. The study is called How to Change the EU ETS for it to Support the Energy Transition. And to present that study, I would now like to introduce Dr. Fabian Roch, Executive Vice President of the economic consulting firm Compass Lexicon. Dr. Roch? Well, thank you very much, Dave. Good morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Um, 
So I'm affiliated with Compass Lexicon, but I'm also uh, an academic with uh, Paris Dauphine and the French School of Regulation. I'm very happy to have an opportunity to present this study, um, which, been, which has been made possible by, by the financial support of PGE. And um, as we start, I think what I'd like to do in the next five minutes is to uh, present to you the, the key messages of, of the study. The full report, uh, more or less 30 pages, uh, is online on, on our website. And I'll uh, obviously share the link so that uh, those interested can, can access it. So if we start by perhaps thinking about the history of the ETS, the ETS is what? Well, 17 years old. It started in 2005. And for uh, most part of its existence, if I can have the next slide, please. For most part of its existence, we have had prices, which you see on the chart here, trading well below 15 to 20 euros per ton of CO2. The chart shows you essentially more than, than a decade of prices uh, in this carbon market. And what you see is that it really took until 2018 for prices to rise in the 30 euros per ton of CO2 range, that was following the announcement of uh, the ETS reform. Now, we also saw the impact of the COVID. If you look at 2019-20, um, you see the, the dip uh, in carbon prices, followed by a very strong recovery. So we all know that the economy recovered uh, and that led uh, to an increase in demand from industrial participants in the ETS who had to buy um, a lot more emission allowances with their growing production. Now, since then, carbon prices have been on the increase and, and you see there's been a, a recent spike, as, as you mentioned in your introduction, Dave, with prices trading between 70 and 100 euros per ton of CO2, with quite a lot of volatility as well in the price in, in recent weeks. We also had a very significant dip, uh, more than 20 euros per ton of CO2 within a couple of days at the start of Russia's invasion of, of Ukraine. And I think against this background, which you see here, what we've tried to do in our study is to understand what's fundamentally driving these trends, supply, demand of allowances, but also to understand whether the specific design of the ETS is leading potentially to an exacerbation of these trends um, and whether there could be room to improve the functioning of, of the ETS. In doing so, we've also looked specifically at the role of financial players and, and speculation. Uh, and we've tried to uh, essentially consider measures which could contribute to stabilizing prices. And that's what I'm going to try to do next. So if I can have next slide, please. Very briefly, um, in terms of volatility, because it's not just the level of price that matters, uh, if you are to make long lived investments. So if you're an industrial, you're trying to decarbonize, you need to make investments that will only pay off in 20, 30 years. What's important is to have some degree of predictability of the price signal. And, and what we see here is a measure 
of the volatility. So this is short-term volatility, but nonetheless, it's, it's interesting um, to see the trend. It's a five-day standard deviation. And you see the, the significant increase uh, recently in volatility that has naturally come with uh, the increase in absolute values of uh, the price of, of allowances. Now, what is interesting is, and you would see that in, in our report, that the number of financial participants in the market, so investment funds, but more generally financial players, has also very substantially increased over the past um, two, three years. And certainly there, there is a bit of uncertainty as to uh, how much of the increase in volatility and price can be attributed to financial players. Um, there is no hard evidence on that, but nonetheless, we have surveyed the academic literature. We have done uh, our own analysis and we find that what's interesting is, is that some characteristics of the market itself can potentially favor speculation and have harmful consequences on price stability. For instance, we all know that the ETS is fundamentally uh, a human creation. It's a market for commodities that does not exist by itself. You know, carbon emission allowances are property rights, which have been um, created by, by human beings. And the supply is very much dependent on the regulations and rules of the game. Um, so naturally, um, even though we have introduced some mechanisms to introduce some elasticity in the long term, um, the MSR, um, the stability reserve, um, there is in the short term an inelastic supply, and, and that obviously can increase uh, price volatility. The second point that's important is that fundamentally, this market is driven by expectations. It's driven by expectations about the policy commitments to reducing the amount of, of emissions. And it's also tied to the credibility of these engagements. And the question is very much whether the policies that are put in place will actually deliver on, on what is supposed to be, uh, to be underpinning the, the market. So this compounds, if you want, the uncertainty. Finally, uh, the stability reserve, the MSR, has a design which is based on some thresholds which are volume-based. And in the report, we explain our concerns that this mechanism could actually have, in some circumstances, a destabilizing effect on the market and actually favor uh, speculation. All of that to say that, in our view, it's essential to actually have a review of the ETS market design and consider potentially some additional measures to enhance price predictability and price stability. Now, let me turn to the next slide, please, to say a few more words on that. What we have identified is a set of measures which are not alternative measures. They are actually potentially complementary. Uh, it's a menu of measures, and, and it very much depends, obviously, on, on what you want to, to favor in your, in your approach. There are some measures which have been already highlighted and identified. For instance, ESMA, in its recent report, has clearly put forward the need for better monitoring and market oversight. And, and we think that this is a no-regret option. On top of that, 
Um, if we compare the ETS with other financial markets, for instance, there could be um, some further measures to regulate the way in which financial trading takes place. Um, so very concretely, um, there could be some, some minimum holding periods. There could be limits on some of the financial positions. And again, before rushing to a decision, further research is needed here. But clearly, we see such measures having potentially another market uh, been implemented. Now, as I move to the, the next category of measures, um, we are moving more to the credibility and predictability of, of the ETS. And clearly, we think that what would be essential here is to resolve some of the long-term policy uncertainty, which can itself uh, enhance the speculation in, in the market, um, providing some stronger, I would say, certainty is definitely something in a market that is so politically driven that would enhance the confidence of, of all market participants. And there are very different ways to do that. An example of which could be having long-term contract for difference. If you are a state and obviously you basically make a commitment in 10 or 20 years to buy back at a certain price carbon prices, that is a very strong signal you are sending to the market participants of your commitment uh, to this market and to the, the price uh, stability in this market. So that's just an example of uh, a measure that would provide some, some long-term certainty and still be compatible with a market functioning, I would say. I will conclude with um, a couple of things. First, uh, we all know that the MSR um, is uh, something that could be improved. Uh, there's been plenty of debate over the years, but probably more than ever now, there is ground to rethink whether uh, the MSR as it is defined with the current mechanism based on quantity threshold is providing the kind of stability that is needed for, for that transition. Um, and finally, uh, a final point worth considering is, is obviously um, as, as one is also discussing a potential enlargement of, of the uh, ETS uh, linking with, with other markets, there is a fundamental need to understand um, who is paying for what. And, and our last point is that in some mechanisms around the world, you also have um, mechanisms to compensate when some entities um, are providing, uh, I would say, not necessarily uh, useful for, for the full system. So that concludes my presentation. Perhaps a few words on the next slide. If you want more information, the study is online on our website. And my colleague uh, Guillaume will be um, on, the, on the panel to provide uh, answers to any question you may have uh, in a few minutes. Thank you very much for your attention. Thank you very much, Dr. Roque. Uh, it's very interesting to see those numbers laid out to really get an idea of what's been happening in the ETS over the past couple years. We'll now move on to the panel discussion. Let me introduce to you all the panelists that we have assembled to debate this this morning. We have with us here today center-left Swedish MEP Jutta Gutland. She is a shadow rapporteur for the revision of the EU emissions trading system legislation and also a member of the Environment Committee in the European Parliament. 
we have Fabrizio Planta, Head of Department for, the, for Markets and Data Reporting, European Securities and Markets at the European Securities and Markets Authority, ESMA. We have Michael Pele, Climate and Energy Policy Working Group Lead at the Potsdam Institute for Climate Research. We have Guillaume Duquesne, Vice President at Compass Lexicon. And we have Wanda Buk, Vice President for Regulatory Affairs at PGE, Poland's largest energy sector company. Thank you all so much for joining us this morning. You guys at home will be able to ask your questions to the panelists by using the Q&A feature on Slido. If you're watching uh, there, you can see that the field to enter your questions in there. Go ahead and start typing those in now, and I will put your questions to the panelists at the end of the discussion. If you have any questions about the presentation uh, that you just saw from Compass Lexicon, Guillaume will be able to answer those questions because he also uh, worked on that uh, report. So, uh, Yuta, let's start with you. What is your opinion of the Commission's proposal for an ETS annual emissions reduction of 4.2%? Uh, do you think that that's appropriate? And how would you like to see uh, this proposal adjusted? Thank you, Dave, and uh, thank you for <clears throat> giving me the opportunity to join this panel and also follow this uh, very timely and interesting discussion. I would like to say that I think that the Commission's proposal is a very good start uh, from where we are. And where are we? We are in a situation where we have a new climate law in the European Union, and we need to fulfill it in order also to fulfill our agreement to uh, to uh, do everything that we, we must do to respect the Paris Agreement. And all that said, of course, we need to make sure that the industry and energy sector is uh, fulfilling its responsibility here. And I don't see it as uh, the Commission's proposal is um, extremely radical. It's a very natural proposal in line with the, with the climate law. And uh, we actually need to discuss if it is enough. And um, I would say that uh, the, uh, the linear reduction factor and also um, this uh, uh, rebasing uh, uh, discussion that we are having uh, could, uh, could contribute even further to what the industry uh, needs to do. And uh, I would also... Um, like to say that it we need to remember both that the climate law is exactly what's needed to be done for if you look at uh, the EU as a region but we are not there where all the regions in the world are doing enough to fulfill the Paris agreement so we actually need to stretch ourselves a little bit more and that is not an obligation that will hurt Europe on the contrary it will be very good for our industry to be in the forefront. We already see it in different parts of the European Union now that the industry is actually gaining from it. And I would also like to conclude my, my first uh, statement here by saying that I believe that the ETS system is not perfect, and that's why we have the, the reform, but it is the best tool to make sure that we have a predictable transition for the industry and that we do it together and we do it in a way where 
we actually make sure that the industry can can yes know how to do it with predictability but also that we make sure that we do enough every year to 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 be at climate neutrality at the latest uh, 2050 so if we don't do enough before 2030 that will not be respect the paris agreement and we if we don't do enough now we will have big problems in the later decades uh, so that's why I would like to, in this phase where we are soon to vote in the environmental committee and also in the in summer in plenary, I would like to uh, also say to all the stakeholders uh, that please understand that this puzzle by uh, needs to be done. Every actor needs to respect the climate law, and the industry is so important. I would actually hit back the industry if we are not doing enough now in front of 2030. So yes, the linear reduction factor could actually go a bit further. That's where we should have the discussion at this moment. Thank you. Thank you. So the ETS, not perfect, but the best tool that we have. Fabrizio, let's turn to you next. So as I was saying in the introduction, recent market developments have raised concerns about speculative trading. Um, what has been your observations on this? And if it is a problem, what could be done to address it? So first of all, uh, <clears throat> thank you for the invitation. Uh, good morning, everyone. And also thank you to uh, Dr. Rokas for having already introduced our our report. So we recently issued the two reports, uh, the latest one in March to analyze the functioning of the ETS uh, market. Uh, overall, uh, we found no major abnormality or fundamental issues in the functioning of the EU bond market. Price movement and volatility are mainly driven by supply and demand the dynamics, the structural decline in allowances and the rising in energy prices. Um, we have seen a, a recent uh, decoupling with the, as I mentioned before, with the start of the uh, invasion of uh, Ukraine from, uh, from Russia. Uh, and here the, the, there was a, a, a change in the behavior with the, uh, allowances going down while the other commodities were still going up and um, now we, we we saw in the recent days uh, uh, going up uh, <clears throat> up again uh, this is uh, very much uh, is linked to a lot of uncertainty as uh, as the previous speaker has, has mentioned the 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 market is very much driven by expectations and currently there is a lot of uncertainty in terms of market participants, the most active participants in the market are investment firms and credit institutions by a wide margin. The, mar the number of investment funds is high, but uh, traded volumes are still relatively small in comparison to other market participants. So this is response also to a previous point made by Dr. Rockes. Uh, more than half of the national amounts reported by non-financial companies, i.e. the compliance entities, the, the firm using the allowances, uh, in simple terms, uh, this is uh, for, done for edging purposes. Uh, while our analysis uh, showed that uh, there is an important share of algorithmic uh, trading and uh, uh, ETF also from third countries, 
uh, in terms of total uh, trading activity. And uh, this uh, certainly deserves uh, further attention. In terms of position, uh, they are mainly uh, held by non-financial counterparties on the long side for hedging purposes, as I mentioned before, and the banks and investment firm on the short side, uh, providing uh, them the liquidity and uh, carbon financing. Uh, long position held by funds remain limited and uh, recently even decreased by 5% on the total positions. So, as mentioned before, we have issued uh, some recommendations uh, to contribute to, to the transparency and better monitoring of EU carbon markets. Uh, those are in particular extend the position management controls uh, uh, to uh, emission allowance derivatives amend the position reporting in emission allowance uh, and improve information uh, content of the weekly position reports uh, and improve transparency and reporting of uh, OTC uh, transactions. We have also mm, uh, issued the two, we have also analyzed two, two additional measures uh, that have their pros and cons and we brought those to the attention of the Commission and the co-legislators which are position limits uh, on emission uh, allowance derivatives and uh, the establishment of uh, centralized monitoring of EU carbon at EU level in line with uh, the ACER style monitoring for gas and powers. And with this, uh, I would uh, hand it over to you again, Dave. Thanks a lot, Fabrizio. So we had a question come in in the chat asking for a link to the study. You guys can find a link to the study there in the chat now if you'd like to go directly to that. Uh, next, I'd like to turn to Michael for a, a research perspective. Michael, is the ETS working as intended to fight climate change? Yeah, thanks, uh, Dave, um, for the introduction. Thanks, everyone, for, for having me to this uh, very important conversation about uh, uh, probably one of the most important topics at all about uh, regarding climate policy and the Green Deal. So um, when it comes to the environmental question, I very much want to amplify what you just said. Um, I think the ETS is not yet the perfect tool. It will be probably never be a perfect tool, but it has gotten better and better over the last years and it's the best tool and this is not just a claim but it has proven that it is a good and effective tool um, when we look back at the years after the 2018 reform we have seen that uh, carbon prices higher carbon prices played a very crucial role to induce the switch from coal to gas and this is not a claim we have conducted empirical scientific ana analysis on that is on pick and this this is now not something we need to hypothesize about this, this is this has become a fact that it's effective and probably more important, we are seeing also major shifts in investment plans uh, regarding the industry. It's probably not yet the price level needed to induce major investment shifts, but it's it's the anticipation and the expectation of much higher prices in the future. And this has been said by the other speakers too, that it's really about the expectation of future prices that at this point is essential because it drives investments rather than short-term operation decisions. And with regard to expectations, I think it's important to move away from just the environment perspective and also take the financial perspective. So viewing the ETS as a financial market, which it definitely is. Um, and when we do so, uh, what becomes important is not environmental efficiency, but informational efficiency. And this has two aspects. So the first is, and that's, that's well known, it's basic economics. 
does the price signal reflect all available information? And uh, economists have struggled with answering these questions for, for decades. And um, I will not go into it, but I will rather address the flip side because uh, what matters more here, I think, is information frictions. So uh, information frictions regarding our capacity to explain prices, how they develop and move on, on price forecasts. And I think this is really the root problem of the current debate and is very much at the heart of the stability questions. Because what we are currently observing is that some stakeholders claim they can explain price movements very well, and others claim that they cannot be explained, uh, implying that what cannot be explained must be driven by speculation. So it's very unclear still who's right and who is wrong, but it's also clear that in a politically created market, we want a clear answer to this question. And the reason is uh, we need to trust the market. So trust needs to come into the equation and the debate. And I think this is really what we should make a centerpiece of new proposals. And in that regard, I think the, the new and the final ESMA report put out by ESMA is really, really important and a major step forward. Because what it does, it lays out data um, that was publicly available or that was implemented through, for instance, the financial market regulation and combines different monitoring data sources in a way that really, really sheds light on many aspects that many observers have long been puzzled about. So that's that's really really important. It's it's a major major step in terms of creating transparency, but there's still work to do uh, because what is not yet done there and which takes more time and also more more analysis is that we need a better explanation of what actually drives prices because this is this is what people are ultimately interested in. And Famir already mentioned there is no hard evidence yet, but I think it's it's of utmost importance to look in this direction. And related to this, and this is my final point, and actually my, my, my statement and my major recommendation, what we really need is, is a better understanding of price movement, but not just past price movements. So not just monitoring or centralized monitoring as recommended by ESMA, but we need also a better understanding of how future prices may develop, of forecasts, of, of streamlining and harmonizing and debating um, our expectations. And for this, we need a new regulatory structure, I think, and much better forward guidance in the way central banks doing to really guide expectations and to create the same information base for all participants and stakeholders in the market, because this is ultimately key for stability. Thank you. Thanks, Michael. That's really interesting to hear that we don't have a full understanding of what's causing the price movements uh, and that uh, a real... A, fuller understanding is really needed. Uh, Guillaume, let's turn to you next. Uh, regardless of what's causing the price fluctuation, what are the possible negative effects of unpredictable prices in the ETS? First of all, thank you very much, Dave, uh, for let, letting me be part of this uh, very important panel on those very, uh, uh, very burning issue about the EU ETS market. So maybe to, to address your, your, your question, uh, I, I think that, I mean, the instability and the lack of predictability in the, in the carbon price could have actually both in the short run and in the long term quite negative consequences about, I mean, the, I would say the European objective in terms of uh, decarbonization. So maybe to be slightly more precise, and it has been already discussed a bit, uh, this morning, I think that in the short run, I mean, the price volatility and instability uh, may actually increase 
as a trading cost in the EU TS market and even more importantly, I would say the edging cost for the compliance entity. And ultimately, what it leads to is actually to increase cost for, for those entities that need to, to take part to the decarbonization. I think that another point that is worth mentioning uh, when it comes to, to the short-term impact of price instability is whether indeed, I mean, the price we observed in the market is effective or is ineffective in order to trigger the right operational decision. So I think there are those two, two aspects to take into account, at least in the short run. Then when it comes to, to the long term, um, we, we all know that, uh, and I, I, I fully agree with the fact that the, the carbon price do, do have like a, a critical role to play when it comes to uh, incentivize and driving uh, investment in this technology and ultimately to, to meet the, the ambitious uh, environmental objective that we, we, we have fixed at a, a European level. W one consequence is that if we do not have a price that is stable, and if we have actually a price that is unstable or is not predictable, uh, we can doubt about the fact that the carbon price is actually uh, able to, to signal, uh, I mean, the need for investment in, 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 clean, techno in clean technology. And I, I think that what it, it could lead to is actually, I mean, first able to un undermine, I mean, the investment that would be needed uh, in, in, in clean technology. It could also have an uh, actually an impact on, on locking of, of, of fuel technology. And also it could increase the risk that we have uh, stranded asset along the line. One additional point that is worth mentioning is that it could also, as I was mentioning, decisive, uh, I mean, not giving the right incentives so as to invest in, in clean technology. And one of the reasons for that is, as we all know, uh, the, the, the volatility of price and the pre predictability of the carbon price do actually have quite a, a huge impact when it comes to uh, investment decision in technology. And one of the reasons is that it do have quite a clear impact on the on the cost of capital. So basically, I mean, the, the, the cost uh, in order to, to actually uh, uh, undertake those, uh, those, those investments. And ultimately, it, uh, it affects the business case for, for investing in, 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 in clean technology. And actually, I mean, this is not just, a, I mean, I would say claim statement. This is, I mean, it has been I mean, recognized in the empirical and academic literature that indeed, I mean, the, the price volatility would have an impact of, of financial, uh, I mean, the, the financial cost of investing in, in clean technology. And that actually having like a predictable carbon price a signal could actually lead to a more efficient investment and uh, overall could improve the efficiency of the EU ETS market. So, so maybe just to, to, to conclude, I think that given what we observed, uh, I mean, given the recent development we observed in the EU ETS market, uh, the evolution in price, but more importantly, in, in um, the evolution we see in terms of, uh, of volatility, I, I think, I mean, we, we may ask, I mean, the question as to whether we, we need further reform of this market, uh, so, so as to in, uh, improve and strengthen uh, the carbon price signal, so, so as to be able to meet the ambitious objective that we, are, we have set for, for ourselves. Thanks a lot, Guillaume. Wanda, let's turn to you next. What measures would you like to see taken to mitigate the risk of excessive speculation and more broadly to stabilize the price of allowances? Okay, so first, 
let me please uh, refer to what has been said already during this panel discussion. So um, I've heard that uh, EU ETS system can provide a predictable transition. And um, at the same time, I've heard that we need to we need to trust the market. Ladies and gentlemen, I do not wish anyone operating in a private sector, functioning in a private sector, to, to be a part of the reality that are energy companies right now. The situation is absolutely unpredictable from our perspective. One day, EU ETS allowance costs six, uh, cost 90, 90 euro per ton. Next day, it costs 60. It used to cost five for so many years. So when we are talking about how successful a successful EU ETS EU ETS system is, uh, please bear in mind that for so many years, EU ETS system was nothing, uh, was, was not, not at all any kind of incentive to decarbonize. But then suddenly, almost overnight, the situation, um, and the situation um, started to, to change and the prices suddenly ratchet up. So, the situation from, from, from our perspective is extremely unstable and also it's unclear what, uh, ha, what has been confirmed by ESMA because we are not fully, we don't have fully understand what's, go, what's going on or the, uh, on the market, what are the sources of the, uh, of the situation. And uh, in the ESMA report, ESMA stated, they pointed out that there is a need to increase monitoring. But at the same time, uh, you can find in the ISMA report the, um, the information that uh, two-thirds of, um, of, of the TINAC are um, total allowances on the market in the circulation are held by the financial institutions. Uh, several pages um, um, several pages later, you can find an information that six or seventy percent of them, uh, of those financial institutions, are located in the Cayman Islands, in the very I, more in the in the in the locations like Cayman Islands. So, um, <laughs> well, uh, I think that we can all agree that these are not the institutions which are the institutions which are interested in. Uh, in the carbon decarbonization in Europe, but they are just uh, they are just uh, keeping holding the uh, the allowances for a future for a future profit. So, um, speaking from the the biggest energy company perspective, I can tell you that um, we are in a very very difficult situation. Our decarbonization process, transformation process, is strongly affected by the uh, by the EU ETS system in the current shape. Uh, in fact, EU ETS system nowadays nowadays limit our capability to, um, to 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 become fully green. Even though we were the first one in in Poland. Uh, um, in Poland, uh, energy utilities and Poland energy utilities, uh, which announced uh, climate neutrality by uh, 2050, and right now we have a huge investment process ongoing. Uh, we're gonna deliver almost seven gigawatts in renewables still uh, within 
this decade till 2030, but uh, and that's going to cost us more or less 8.6 billion euros. Uh, but only in 2021, we paid 2 billion euros for EU ETS, which is at the same time equal to our EBITDA from 2021. So you can see that more than 10% we spent last year to EU ETS, not spend, and we we didn't spend it on uh, on uh, on green investments. And of course, I can um, I can I can assume that uh, I will have um, you you can answer that this money will be um, will be dedicated also for uh, to to the green transition with the modernization fund and so on. But please remember, bear in mind that. Uh, Access to the to the final uh, to the funds from um, modernization funds or others, you know, it takes time. But EU ETS affects our daily liquidity. So, um, so, so, so this is the the, the the very important issue that I think should be taken into consideration. And what needs to be done. Well, uh, from our uh, from our perspective, there are at least uh, three areas uh, that should be um, that, that that should be modified. Uh, first of all, first of all, excluding uh, excluding financial institutions uh, to at least to some point from the from the market. Uh, so um, that was only recently adopted by the ITRA committee. Um, the amendment proposed by the Buzek, and we strongly support it. We uh, we even would go a little bit farther and limit and introduce kind of lim limits to the thresholds to the position general or individual uh, individuals for the uh, for the um, for the financial institution. Um, the second thing that the second area that should be taken care of is, of course, the um, is of course the mar market stability reserve, uh, as well as twenty Article twenty nine A. Well, both of these were supposed to be kind of um, tool to react when there is something going on uh, going on wrong in the mar on the market, but. Uh, well, I think that everyone can admit that they were never useful and they never played the role. So you know, when it comes to the market stability reserve, it's, um, well, this is a tool that should prevent further shocks, market shocks. Uh, so uh, we think that it should be based not on the TNAC, but on the price thresholds. Why not on the TNAC? Because this is the situation that we are facing right now. Right now on the market there, according to um, assessment, there are so many allowances available from uh, for companies, for the compliance entities. But as we can see in the ISMA report, two-thirds of them are held by the financial institutions, which are keeping them for a future profit. So they are not selling them. They are not in the circulation, in fact. So the entities, compliance entities like a PGE, they don't have, um, in fact, they don't have an access to them. So there is one, uh, once it's assessed that there is a surplus of, uh, on the market, well, there is a shortage.
there is uh, uh, there is a scarcity of uh, of allowances on the uh, on the market. So we would propose to um, to modify MSR uh, and refer MS uh, and refer the mechani mechanism not to, to uh, not to the TNAC but to the uh, but to um, some price thresholds, for example, those which were mentioned in the impact assessment um, delivered by the Commission. By the way, uh, I think that this is another very interesting issue, that impact assessment is completely somewhere else uh, when it comes to the, uh, uh, in comparison to the reality. So we can see that well, uh, even European Commission wasn't able to predict the the future correctly. Uh, so, and the last last uh, last thing, last but also not least, uh, the Article twenty nine nine A. Well, we think that that should be also a tool that would be that could be that that should be responsive and uh, should be. Uh, uh, should be uh, sh should give the opportunity to weigh out when uh, necessary, uh, and also we would uh, we would suggest to to refer to the price thresholds, uh, and that because we think that this is really to the to the to some kind of predicted um, predicted uh, upfront price thresholds. Because if we want, uh, let's imagine that. Let's imagine that uh, if if we would like to um, to use Article 29A uh, within uh, 29A in a current state, well, we should assess that the uh, prices um, reach almost 300, 300 euros uh, per ton. So that's the uh, that's the situation completely. Uh, at least from the perspective of the companies, com conflict, com that, that would be a nightmare, and that would be, of course, that would uh, lead uh, energy companies to 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 to, to the bankruptcy. Uh, Thanks, so, Wanda. Um, Thanks, Wanda. If you could wrap yeah. up, I just want I want uh, to get uh, Yuta's reaction to all of that. So, hearing uh, some of those those ideas for remedies here, uh, Yuta, what potential measures do you think could be effective in stabilizing the price of the ETS? First of all, um, of course, it is um, it is important to to listen to to the ideas here, and uh, uh, we could uh, uh, definitely take it into the negotiations. But and we are, uh, but uh, I and I will uh, I will not go into this this or that uh, will be the result of it. But we will uh, will definitely uh, uh, talk about it, especially. Uh, in the more short term, I see the uh, problems that we have uh, today with uh, also the the energy prices, and that is affecting the situation. Uh, but I do want to point out that we have not yet seen a price um, that has that is at the level where the environmental economists uh, like the very famous report uh, pointed out where it should be we have not even have prices yet that are uh, where where we should have the prices of the ETS if it should be effective for 
steering uh, the the industries or also broader sectors uh, where we need to be to respect the the Paris Agreement. So I would like to also uh, point that out in this discussion that yet the prices, even though uh, we had higher prices uh, the recent uh, year, it is not where it should be. Uh, we spoke, uh, I mean, where it should be around um, 100 uh, uh, euro and we uh, uh, we have not, no, US dollar, and we have not uh, even even been at the, that uh, yet. And I, I think also, if we meddle too much with the system, uh, I just want to add this uh, to the conversation. Uh, if we meddle, then we might also get um, consequences that is not uh, intended. Uh, I see that with, if we have uh, tools that would like taking uh, back allowances from the market stability reserve with certain prices or, or things like that, if the price would drop, uh, and that is not unlikely that it would, also drop again it has happened and it can happen again and then if we have these kind of um, tools that would immediately kick in to help the system um, when when the price is rising rapidly then it could still be uh, in a situation where the price is not sufficient um, and that therefore it's politically very difficult to to introduce uh, systems that could harm the price from reaching levels where it needs to be. Uh, so that is also, when we talk about this, this is also a conversation that we are having, that we don't want to meddle into the system and get uh, unintended effects uh, that would harm the, the both the, the system as being market-based, but also the predictability uh, on the longer term um, it would have been a different also if the system was <clears throat> uh, completely um, new like if we intru introduce something uh, for an ETS2 uh, that's another thing uh, to kind of help help uh, the market to understand the tool that is in introduced and not uh, not shocking the market uh, but with with the ETS system as being quite mature at this moment, um, I think one has to be a bit cautious. But I would like to listen again uh, and, and see who insists. <laughs> Thank you. Well, Fabrizio, let me get your reaction from ESMA's perspective to some of these ideas we've heard so far about how um, price volatility could be tackled. What do you think of these ideas? Well, first of all, let me clarify one point uh, on, on, on our report that was mentioned before. Cayman Island that does not represent 60 or 70 percent of the entire trades. Is it on the funds side? And the fund is a very small percentage of the trade. Basically, it's around 6 percent of the, <clears throat> of the number of transactions. So in terms of volumes, it's even less. Um, just to clarify the, the point that was mentioned before by uh, Mrs. Book. Um, I, I believe that the, any measure to, to, to limit uh, the presence of the financial uh, firms 
in this market uh, as proved uh, in other countries uh, to um, have a, a, a deterrent effect, uh, a, a negative effect in uh, in terms of liquidity. So I uh, we, we have, uh, uh, and I think that the Postnum uh, study, a previous one also, also clarified that uh, experience from China and South Korea of what uh, would be the uh, the impact of uh, of limiting uh, the the presence of the financial sector from uh, our studies our conversation with the, with the majority of the uh, of the <clears throat> compliance entity they are generally happy with how the market is uh, is functioning so I, I take the point of uh, P, PGE but the, the the majority of our interlocutors uh, believe in the positive effect that the financial industry is playing in the market in financing the market of course they they, they have a large part because they are market makers so of course they they um, they represent an important percentage uh, of that market so limiting their presence i don't think it's uh, it's uh, it's a solution um Certainly, one of the solutions, as we have indicated, is that, that we need the, uh, better monitoring of the of this market. Uh, we have too many uh, data sources uh, that uh, we, we had uh, really difficulty in in putting all all together all of them together, and they are not necessarily all consistent. So, a lot of work in terms of transparency and monitoring is is necessary. Uh, but I don't think that uh, a restriction is the, uh, of the, the presence of financial industry is the solution to this problem. Michael, what do you think about these ideas we've heard about uh, addressing price volatility? Yeah, I think it's, it's important to distinguish between the different suggestions. And uh, I think two, two are in the room, two groups. The first one is uh, the first group of suggestions are really addressing the symptom because they are addressing trying to control the prices directly, and I think this is really in um, this is contradicting the very idea of an emission trading system where the price is an output of the market rules, not an input. So I think this is this is not the second best. I mean, this is could be really detrimental to to try or to. To find some some measures like like an amendment of let's say Article 29, where we want to fix prices in a way that is convenient to some and inconvenient to others, and so it will, it will. I'm very confident it will end up in a political debate and a political decision that that does no good to the market and move us away from the things that we have achieved. Um, so I would really focus in 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 the spirit of improving the system for everyone. Um, really focus on on what are the causes of the prices, so what drives the prices, what are essential drivers. And I, I very much concur with Fabrizio. He al already mentioned the examples of other markets, in particularly South Korea, where uh, financials were com excluded completely and they had a big liquidity problem. So this clearly points to the fact that there are beneficial functions that financials play, namely providing liquidity and also price discovery. And with regard to the number of financials, one also has to make a distinction between investment funds and banks. And many of these uh, volumes we are seeing in the market actually carry trades on behalf of utilities. 
So if we would ex exclude the banks, um, then utilities like PGE would have a big problem because they would need to buy all the allowances themselves, which would be much more costly and riskier than doing this through banks. So I think this is this is really essential. At the same time, I, I also endorse um, the suggestion ESMA and others put out to consider position limits. I think this makes sense given the special um, nature of the market and its political relevance. It's just not any commodity market, it's an important political market. But the main challenge here would be to calibrate these holding position limits well. And this is also what ESMA emphasized, that we cannot just arbitrarily set, set a limit and potentially cutting off this important liquidity function. So we really need to understand what is the right limit to, to put here. And for this, we really need to understand what is the actual price effect of financials uh, on the market and on price. And as already mentioned several times by me and others, so this is not just an, um, an unambiguously negative effect. This has positive and potential negative effects, and we need to be able to differentiate between the both and then find the right level. But we need to have a good logic and rationale for calibration because otherwise uh, we are risking to kill the market that short. Guillaume, what do you think yeah. about these ideas that we're hearing about how we can tackle price volatility? Yeah, so so actually there are a couple of points I wanted to 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 comment on. Maybe maybe starting with what Michael just just explained. I, I think that there is no disagreement, and actually we are probably in full agreement that I mean financial institution, financial player are I would say critical player in this market. Without I mean the financial institution, we have no market more or less because we have not no counterpart for for the compliant entity. So so I think that indeed uh, the, the question is not so much about whether we, we should I mean limit the participation of financial institution and whether speculation is good or bad. The question is whether we have an issue with excessive speculation in this market, which may lead price to overreact to change in in market fundamentals. And I would completely agree that in order to, to be able to have, like I would say, the, the right assessment and to be able to, to pinpoint the right measure in order to fix the issue, if we, we indeed have an issue, uh, we need, first of all, I mean, more transparency and, uh, and closer monitoring to better understand what is going on in this market. And then when we have a clear view as to indeed whether we have excessive speculation in this market, then we can decide how best to, to, to tackle this, uh, uh, this issue, this I mean, potential issue about, uh, uh, I would say, excessive speculation. One very little point uh, still about speculation. Uh, it has been mentioned many times that indeed we, 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 we need to distinguish between, I would say, financial institutions that are trading on the behalf of compliance entity and that allow liquidity and price discovery in this market. I mean, they are indeed very important players. And we, we need also to distinguish those actors from eventually, I mean, investment funds that are taking uh, a speculative uh, position. W one point that is very important here is that it has been flagged that those, uh, I would say, uh, those players do represent a small proportion, I would say, of the trade. Uh, but we, we still need to think about the trend, the fact that we have an increased number of those players in this market, the fact that now we also see like algorithmic trading in this market. So we, I mean, something seems to be happening something is changing in this market and i think that we need to to monitor and to make sure that we do not intervene too late if we need to intervene and in a market that is very tight i mean i guess that um even 
market participants that hold that in five percent or ten percent of the position the market can have quite a, a big impact in the in the on the on the market price then second point I, I wanted to comment on is the question about I mean, a measure to stabilize price and I, I think that we need to 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 make sure that we do not uh, confuse two different issues uh, or two different points. One is the level of the carbon, uh, the carbon price, and whether it indeed reflects, I mean, the level of market fundamental and whether, I mean, the price is at the right level. And the second point is uh, whether we we have price that are too, uh, too volatile. And I think that for the first point about the level, I think that if we do not have an issue about probably speculation and if we can demonstrate that the price is at the right level, I, I agree that there is no need and we should not try to constrain the price. If the price is at the right level, then we should let the market go. And then if there are some entities that are more exposed than others, then we can think about other measures in order to help those entities. But if the, the level of the price of carbon do not reflect fundamental, but actually reflect I mean, some speculative, excessive speculative uh, activity in the market, then we have an issue and we need to fix it. Then when it comes to I mean, the price volatility, um, I, I think that what is important is that, I mean, when we, 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 thought, I mean, we, we thought about this market, and this is, I guess, also what has been done in, uh, when we, we have this report in 2017 and 18, uh, I think that we... I mean, we we had this price stability mechanism, which is, I mean, the, more or less the, the, the MSR, and that has doing a, a, a great job uh, until now. But what we know and that what we understand now is that actually sometime under some certain condition, and I, it has been mentioned by, by, by Fabien, uh, actually the, the market stability res, uh, reserve may actually not stabilize price, but actually destabilize the market. So I think that when we think about this reform, we need not only to think about the, the, I mean, eventually the threshold and the, the intake rate, etc. But we need also to see whether the, the the market stability reserve is indeed stabilizing price, and whether we need to think about, uh, I mean, uh, other, I mean, other reform of the market stability reserve to make sure that uh, it indeed stabilizes price. Because I was, uh, as I was mentioning before, if we do, we do have, um, I mean, unpredictable price, uh, we 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 can have uh, an issue. And, and, and last, not least, I, I think that I, I heard the point about credibility of the reform and the fact that if we start changing everything every two or three years, then it creates actually long-term instability. And as I was mentioning before, this is not very good for the market. So maybe we should take this opportunity in order to fix the market one for all. And I mean, to tackle or try to tackle all uh, the issue in one go so that we, we avoid uh, uncertainty in the future. Thanks. So let's go to some questions that have come in from the audience. The first question comes from Peter Botchek. Uh, Peter asks, in view of the Ukraine war, energy, the energy supply crisis and cost explosions, inflation and looming recession, how can policymakers still rely on the commission impact assessments and the expected ETS policy inventions that were made in a very different setting. This has come up at a couple of the panels I've moderated lately. Uh, Wanda, what do you think? Well, uh, I don't think that, that I'm the, the one to answer because uh, actually that, that's the question that I could, I could ask as well, how we could rely on how we can function in this kind of, uh, in this kind of reality. As I, as I previously said, it's, the situation from the 
perspective of, uh, of, uh, of, of the companies is completely unstable. And also um, looking at the situation more, um, uh, more widely, uh, please bear in mind that we are not uh, functioning in a vacuum. So one, once we know that our situation is unstable, uh, financial, uh, financial institutions are uh, not so much willing to uh, support us uh, to 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 give us loans, to give us credits, and so so this is that's become that that's becoming a you know um, a, 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 it, it's a ripple effect, and uh, and uh, in the end, uh, the situation from the perspective of the uh, of the companies may become extremely dramatic. It's already very very difficult. It the situation with the uh, with the EU ETS at the same time with the uh, with the upcoming very severe crisis, uh, all of these factors together uh, may lead to very dramatic dramatic situations. So, uh, so well, I just to sum up, I just I could ask the some in the same the same questions how we could operate. In this kind of reality, without um, without the support and understanding of uh, from from the policymakers side. Well, let's ask our policymaker on the panel. So, Yuta, uh, of course, it's the Commission's job to initiate legislation, but we have some open legislation that's going through the the, uh, the legislative process with the co-legislators. Um, do you think we need to revisit ETS policy in light of recent events? I would say that the high energy prices that we see and also uh, uh, the prices on diesel and uh, and the gasoline is uh, due to the war is something that um, is is not um, the ETS system. Uh, of course, it's affecting the households and uh, definitely we need to um, encourage uh, the member states to to support uh, support uh, households in in the member states and and that is also done. But if you look at the uh, ETS uh, system, uh, the this reform is about the upcoming years and. Uh, I would say that uh, the Commission needs uh, to fulfill the, the Green Deal and also the, the role that the ETS uh, will play. It's a substantial role in the, in the Green Deal and also the fulfillment of the Paris Agreement. And we see that uh, not even now we have seen prices in the ETS system that is at the level where it actually needs to be to have that impact on investments, on transition, on uh, making the, the industry go in the right direction. And we have an awful situation in Europe with the war. Uh, we have a very difficult situation for, for many people. And this is definitely something that needs to be tackled and also supported economically. And the member states needs to to help uh, to stabilize uh, the situation in the member states, but to kind of 
not do what's needed to make the ETS system have the climate role that it needs to have to be part of uh, fulfilling the Green Deal and the Paris Agreement, the, the, the coming decade. That would be a tremendous um, catastrophe of itself. Uh, we saw, saw the IPCC report just uh, two weeks ago, or is it three now? It was really a warning report once again, and I would be very negative to, to these ideas that the system should not uh, be revised and fulfilled uh, with what's needed to make the price more relevant in the long term. Then, of course, um, the what's been said here about speculation—that's another story. Uh, but um, and and uh, to have more transparency in the system, and as I said, to listen to thoughts here about that is one thing. But to try to impact the systems to to get it less sharp and less uh, uh, active in the role of stimulating the industry to, to go further in the development, that would be extremely negative for climate and also for the industry. So we need to be firm in this situation. We need to understand that this is not about now. This is about where we are going to be 2030. And I'm very negative. That's my last word here. I know I took a little bit more than two two minutes, maybe. Uh, I would like to say that I'm also very negative when I see where some industries are at this moment. We had, I mean, already last term, we talked about where the industry needed to be. And many have been relying on free allowances and being very actually not uh, doing what's needed to be at the right, uh, uh, have, have the right uh, innovations there and be uh, kind of, I mean, all industries need to understand that uh, the, what we are doing today is not sustainable, not for them, not for, for the climate. So they need to change. And the system so far has helped some industries to say that stay the same. And we hear the same argument now that we heard five years ago or even 10 years ago. And it's not okay to kind of use for some, uh, use the, the very sensitive situation we are in now uh, to say the same thing as you did five years ago. I, I will not listen to that. I think it is extremely important that all industries see that to transist is a surviving thing. Let me get you to respond to that last point by Yuta, and it kind of goes along with a question that's coming from the audience from Rai Kajaste Rudnitskaya, which is basically asking, isn't a high price a good thing to motivate uh, prices? Uh, high ETS prices, he says, are, are both good drivers for implementing Green Deal investments. Um, so do you agree that high ETS prices prices enable investing in many low-carbon technologies. And isn't it the case that those five euro a ton prices uh, from 10 years ago, we knew that was not the correct price, and so industry couldn't possibly have expected that to last? Uh, Guillaume? Uh, so, sorry. Um, yeah, so, so maybe to... to I mean, to answer this question and, and probably also to echo what uh, have already been said, I, I think that indeed, I mean, having a good, I mean, a high price uh, for, 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 for carbon is probably a good thing for 
uh, I say, uh, I would say for decarbonization. But what we need to bear in mind is, I mean, the, the purpose of the EU ETS market is to allow, I would say, um, decarbonization at the least uh, at the least cost. So the idea is the price need to be, I mean, the, the, the right, I mean, the carbon price need to convey the right signal to investment. And this is not a question as whether we want a high price. The question is we want the correct price so as to be on the optimal path so as to decarbonize and to do it at the least cost. And this is unclear to me that having a very high price at the moment, for example, would actually trigger massive investment if everyone expects this price to go down once, for example, the, 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 the war in, uh, in Ukraine is, uh, is, um, is terminated. So, so I think that we need to bear in mind that this is not a question of, okay, do we need an, an high price? Do we need a low price? The question is, we need, <laughs> this is not a question actually, this is we need the correct price, the price that is at the right level so as to, uh, incentivize the right investment in this technology at the right time. And the question we should ask ourselves is, number one, whether the, the price today is at the right level and whether it indeed reflect basically, I mean, market fundamental, and this is where we should be, in which case we have no issue. If this is not the case and the, the sharp increase we observe today is not, I mean, reflecting market fundamental and what we need in order to optimize decarbonization, then basically, I mean, there is a question as what we do for that. And the second point that is very important that has been already mentioned many times is the fact this is not only a question of the level of the price, because it has been mentioned several times, this is not just the level, this is the stability. We need a stable price signal so as to incentivize the right investment, because if the price is very high today but very low tomorrow, it, uh, it actually, I mean, does not trigger the, the right investment at the right time. And actually, as I was mentioning before, it is likely to increase the cost of decarbonization. Thanks. Uh, so we do have one more question. Wanda, if I can put this to you really briefly, because we're just about out of time. Uh, but the, the two kind of related questions here and also related to the last question. So Adrian Asu asks, isn't it actually free allocation that's driving volatility because it makes industry's willingness to sell their surplus the main price driver. Uh, let me just put that question to you, Wanda. Um, no, I, uh, answering di directly to this question, uh, uh, I don't think so. I don't. Uh, I don't follow this uh, tease uh, in the in the question, uh, but. Answering to commenting on the previous question as well, uh, I think that the answer of Guillaume, uh, who said that the correct price is needed, uh, is uh, is is the best answer, because I can understand that the price can be um, can be high uh, and have to be kind of a burden. Uh, okay, uh, but it has to be a burden that should be uh, that that could be uh, that could be bared by the uh, by the private sector, and uh, what is uh, what is important here, it needs to be a burden that is predictable. That we know that we will have to next year to uh, pay this amount, and the next year we'll have to pay this amount according to our decarbonization stra uh, strategy. Otherwise, we will not be able to prepare a roadmap and to follow it uh, and to follow it, um, it it fully. So, as I said, companies nowadays have a liquidity issues because of EU ETS, and we should do our best, from my perspective, to avoid it and to allow companies uh, to, to, to the green transition to decarbonize.
Thanks, Wanda. So that is all the time we have for today's discussion. Certainly a lot more to talk about, but there will be a lot more opportunities to talk about the ETS and whether changes are needed or whether we need to stay the course. I think we heard a lot of different opinions today, uh, and there's going to be a lot for policymakers to think about. So thank you to the panelists for some great interventions. Thank you to you at home for asking some great questions and for spending your morning with us. And we'll see you here next time for the next Your Active Debate.